<laughs> At least one of us was glad to see me. That's good. That's good. <laughs> Trust you've had a good week. Let's take our Bibles this afternoon and uh, let's turn to Ephesians chapter 5. It's a bit of a review of we've been going through the foundations of uh, discovering God's will. And uh, I know many of you have questions and concerns and where does God want me? What does he want me to be doing for a job? Maybe some of you, who, do you, who does he want me to marry? Where should I live? All of those different questions really literally come at us from different angles and different perspectives. And we wanted to just lay down some foundations of things that God would desire us to do to be in his perfect will. We're going to start reading in uh, Ephesians chapter 5. We'll start in verse 15. 15. Ephesians 5, 15. Seeing then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Wherefore, be you not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. Be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. And may God add a special blessing to reading of his word, and let us just pause for prayer prior to our study. Father God, again, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your blessings upon our lives. We especially thank you for the gift of salvation that you gave through the expense and the cost of the suffering of your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you that we can, li- that we can be here today standing on the promises that we can have eternal life because Jesus Christ, when he said, it is finished, as he died, he was buried, and, you rose, and he rose again through the power of the Holy Spirit, lifting and raising him up, Father. We thank you for that. We especially are so, so overwhelmed, Father, that you've done it to conform us to the image of your Son. And as we're studying, have been for several weeks in the sense of what is your will for us. Father, we would ask that today would, that you would take the word and enlighten our hearts, our minds with it. And, Father, that we would ask that the Holy Spirit would be our teacher exclusively today. We would ask you to be open and willing to receive all that you have for us. Father, we'll trust you with these moments before us, knowing that they will be for our good and for your glory. And now these things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> well, let's, uh, let's review a little bit. <clears throat> Where are we at in this uh, journey of discovering God's will? What is God's will? Um, First of all, the first time we were together, we talked about the number one, can't get it wrong, need to be here first. You can't discover God's will until you really do the step number one, and that is what? Get saved. Get saved. Uh, 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 9 talks about the fact that God... In fact, let's go there. It's nothing wrong with going back and reviewing. If you have your Bibles, uh, go to 2 Peter chapter 3, and I'll read verse 9 for you. This is God's will that all would come to repentance. And it's a time frame that uh, Peter... There was a great deal of suffering in the people that Peter was writing to. And it was important for him to unfold the sense of the time and the delay. How many of you have said, is the rapture ever going to happen? Is God ever going to come back for his own? And and every generation there was that thought process. But he does... In 2 Peter, he says in verse 9, uh, verse 8 of chapter 3, But beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. But the Lord is not slack concerning his promises, some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, 
not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That's God's will. God's will is that you get saved. If you don't know Jesus Christ and you're here today, personally, he wants you to get to know him. He died for your sins. All you need to do is repent of that. You come to him on his terms, and guess what? You are the beneficiary of eternal life and all of the accessory packages that go with it. You get dynamic power. You get the Holy Spirit that lives within you. Never leaves. Never will forsake you. He's with you forever. And if you guys aren't getting excited yet, we're going to be in for a long journey because I'm on it today. Here we go. But get saved is number one and first and foremost that God wants you. That's his will. Number two, we spent, actually, I think we might have even spent a couple weeks there. What was that? And hopefully you remember as I don't want to go back and try to figure it out. Being filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. Now, I, just, I thought you just said, Larry, I got to write because I can't talk and write at the same time. You that have been here a long time know that. Um, I thought you just said that you had the Spirit. Yes, you do. You were indwelt with the Holy Spirit as soon as you, you trust Christ as your Savior. He becomes yours and you are His property. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 and 20. Don't you know that you were bought with a price? That you are not your own? You have been purchased. You are the temple of the Holy Ghost. Think of that for a moment. In the Old Testament times, as the Israelites were traveling through uh, the journey in and around the the Holy Land, as we would know today, their their nation, they did a lot of things wrong. But one of the things that was interesting is uh, the Spirit would come and go. For a while, the tabernacle housed within the holiest of holies, the place of where God resided. And once a year, the priest was asked to go in to make an atonement for the people of Israel. And he, wore a, he had a rope around his foot, and he had a bell. And if he wasn't making noise, and if he wasn't coming out, they would pull the rope and hoping that he had just fallen asleep. But in some sense, senses, I'm sure he wasn't prepared to be ready to go into the holiness of God. Guess what? When you trust Christ, you are declared justified, and that, that word being the same, to be declared not guilty, and you are totally, completely, positionally righteous. And you are the inhabitor of the Holy Spirit. But that doesn't mean that you're filled. You must continually draw near to him. You, you want to be filled. You want to be full. Remember Stephen? Remember that martyr, uh, that, that guy that was full of the Holy Ghost? We went there and, and talked about that in Acts. Being full of the Holy Ghost, he actually saw Jesus sitting at the right hand of God. And you have the same ability, the same opportunities. But you've got to be in the right company. You've got to be able to, if we were going to say being filled or being controlled by, in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 8, we read it, uh, using uh, wine as the contrast. Don't be filled with wine in excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Uh, Just as alcohol is something that works from the inside and you are no longer under your own influence, but something else. When you are with the Holy Spirit, I think, remember we had that glove laying here? That glove in and of itself can't do anything. We told, we call it Gary the glove, and I said, why don't you play the piano? And he just laid there. That, I don't know if that glove was a he or she, but that glove just laid there. He couldn't do anything. Why? Because he didn't have the energy, didn't have the, the filling, if you will, to go and get it. Now, in the hands of someone that knew how to play the piano, it would even be better. But someone, the Holy Spirit, or think of a sailboat. We talked about that as well. To be filled with a sail is really the motivation and the strength and the energy that will move that boat or that sailboat through the water. That's like the Holy Spirit guiding and directing your life. Number three, we talked about it last week. Sanctification, that's a big word, isn't it? You probably didn't use it very often this week again. Sanctification. And what does it mean? 
Be, to be set apart. To be set apart for who? For God. If you're a Christian, if you've trusted Christ, you should look different. You should act different. You should be different. You should be on the... And we, we talked about this literally. The journey sanctification, which is a process. Justification is that act, that one-time act whereby you are declared not guilty before standing before God. Uh, sanctification, on the other hand, is moving from sin to holiness. You go from one to the other through the power of the Spirit. Every day should be one day that you're a little closer to God, being a little more of being conformed to the image of His Son. We talked a lot about that last week. Well, today we're going we're to pick up the speed and you say, well, that would be good because it's taken a long time to get through three of them. But today we're going to really ramble on. We're going to go with number four. And uh, essentially, uh, this is very key, a very key component to all of this happening as well. And that is the sense of being submissive. How many of you would think that that term or that word or that principle may be even outdated in the country in which we find ourselves living today? It's very hard to find someone that is submissive to almost anything. If you, if you doubt that, just take a step into Washington, D.C. and watch how submissive those folks are to one another trying to get some things accomplished for the nation's good. It's not happening, is it? We all look out for ourselves and submission. Submission or being submitted is incredibly important in the sense of finding God's will. Let's take our Bibles and turn to James chapter 4. James chapter 4 and verse 7. We'll start there. James chapter 4. Another book that we'd studied not that long ago. James chapter 4, and, and, and James is very realistic. He's one of those that the rubber meets the road. You're wondering what to do with your life, and you think you've got faith? He wants your faith to get to work, get to action. Let it get on the road. Uh, James chapter 4 and verse 7. Now, what he's talking about in chapter 4 overall is worldliness and its cause, its consequences, and now he talks about its cure. Um, and uh, by the way, there's a... Before we even talk about this for a moment, um, um, in Ephesians chapter 5, we stopped our section in submitting one to another in the Lord. It's God's will that you would submit one to another in Him. That's very, very key. And then he goes on for a section, uh, the next section is talking about a husband-wife relationship in the sense of submitting to themselves and ultimately, overall, submitting or being committed to God. That's the overarching umbrella of all of that taking place, is the sense of that very thing. Um, if you go back to Genesis chapter 2, you'll find that God unfolds the institution of marriage. He's the one that begins it. He brings, it's interesting if you think of this, you have Adam and he says, he's alone, it's not good. And one of the questions that Paul asked through the back to Genesis or answers to Genesis was, how come God didn't name the animals? Why did he let Adam name them? I think part of the answer to that, this, I'm going to take a shot at this, I don't know if that's the one they said, but, but one of the things that's interesting, there was one time God said, it's not good that Adam is alone. And you'll find in the scripture in chapter 2, the next thing that happens is God brings these animals and parades them across in front of Adam and he names them. And you know he got very creative at the beginning. It was hippopotamus, rhinoceros. By the end of the day, fly, duck, cat, right? And it would have been, and can't think of that. Now, there's a purpose behind all of that, not only to have man name them, but literally at the end of it, guess what? There was no one for Adam. And God said, this is not good. So he put Adam into a deep sleep. He took a rib out of Adam and he made woman. So he took from the man and then it says that he gave to Adam. Isn't that exactly literally what Jesus Christ and the church was? The church came from 
Jesus Christ, and then he's been given back to him as a bride for a groom. It's the same picture we find in Ephesians. And in that whole course of action, we are asked to, and a husband and wife, to leave and cleave. Do you know, quite honestly, when you're talking about the will of God and leaving the world and cleaving to what God has, we continue every day you are leaving and cleaving something. Now, the key is, what is it that we're leaving and what is it that we're cleaving to? That's the key component in the sense of choices as we unfold God's will for our lives. Well, let's go back. You're already there, stranded, wondering when we're going to get back to James chapter 4, verse 7. But here we are, and it says this. His cure for worldliness is this. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Period. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. What does that mean? Submit to God. What does the word submit mean? Now, if you're a husband, you'd say it's a great word because it's in the scripture and it says, wives, be submissive to your husbands. It's the one the husbands know over all of the scriptural terms. (laughs) Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 22. It's their favorite verse. That's why we didn't read it today. (laughs) We started with verse 21, right? Verse 21 said, submit to one another in the Lord, for that's his will. Because if you do that first, it's going to be a lot easier for everyone to get along, shall we say. But submit. Tell me what that means. Excuse me? I heard. I said humbleness. I tell you what, that is the attitude. That was so fresh because underneath of submission, because now I'm I'm going to play a part. I'm not going to do it very well, but you know me, I'll try. But show me a wife that has been forced by her husband to submit. I will show you a woman that will not be engaged in humility and love. <laughs> How am I doing? <laughs> and the more the husband is, is pushing and clenching his fist to really make this happen, it's going to get worse. <laughs> That's right. Or not, shall we say. Or not. And submission, really the key characteristic, as Diane has very aptly pointed out, underneath all of it is the sense of humility. Humility. So let's describe humility for a moment. What is humility? Not yourself. Excuse me? It's not about yourself. It's not about yourself. In fact, one has said this. It's not thinking less of yourself. It's not thinking of yourself at all. That's a beautiful term for humility. Uh, The epitome of humility, write this down in your notes, is Philippians chapter 2, beginning at verse 5 through 10. It talks about how Jesus Christ counted it not... Let's just go there. We'll we'll do better by reading it, won't we? I'll just turn to Philippians chapter 2. And again, write it in your notes. We're going to read it, though. It's so good. Uh, Philippians chapter 2, we'll start at verse 5. The epitome, if you will, of, of humility. It says, Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. Being found And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that the name, at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven, things in earth, and things under the earth, that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now, I'll tell you, there is no one that has ever 
been humbled to the degree that God, and I did say that, Jesus, God the Son, humbled himself to that point, taking on the point of crucifixion for our good. In Hebrews it says he counted it as joy to have endured the cross to regain what was lost. Amazing. That's humility. Thank goodness that Jesus was interested in God's will more than his own protective physical pain. I was looking for the right word. Have you ever had that? You're struggling for words? It gets worse and worse for me all the time. And I'm going to get older tomorrow, I guess. So it's not going to get any better. But at any rate, go a lot center on that. But it's amazing how we probably could have fought, how easy it is, I think today, how easy for us to be squeezed, to be conformed into this world. That's what Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 talks about. Don't be conformed or squeezed into the mold of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And it's amazing. I, I think we'd all have to agree. Even 10 years ago, think back and things that we would have been very black and white, very right, very wrong. Our society has not only blurred them, but now they actually have flipped. I mean, it's crazy what's going on. In fact, I was reading, uh, I can't remember, I should have remembered. It was on a news flash that came across my phone this morning. There's a group that has started not too long ago. And they have a name. It's, uh, oh, just about had it. Um, no, I'm not, I better not do it. But they are making, uh, they're, 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 what's the right word I'm looking for? Um, not petitioners, they're activists. There we go. They're, they're taking an activist role in the sense of climate change. And now they have said that they will not have children because of the climate change is posing such a threat to the future of this world. <laughs> Are you kidding me? <laughs> I'm going to go ahead and agree with you on that one. But is it not insanity what has gripped us now? We're not concerned about things we should be concerned about. Shouldn't we be concerned about how this nation has fled away from God? Shouldn't we be concerned about the fact that we've literally just spit in his face? The, the, The issues of the day, abortion. You think God's not broken by that? And we're concerned not having children for climate change? I'm usually not quite this loud for you folks that are visiting, but... I was lying, wasn't I? I'm listening. We're listening. It's out of control. It's out of control. I was aghast. I, I couldn't even believe it. The, the woman that they interviewed was 33 years of age. And she said, well, I mean, I really want a family, but I mean, it's obvious that our world is changing at a level that that little baby that I would have would be suffering a very difficult and probably an end of life. I'll tell you, what if you don't get Jesus right? Climate doesn't matter. (laughs) Get Jesus right. (laughs) I'm sorry. I'll reel that back in, but these are key components, aren't they? We've got to get this right. We've got to get this right. Where did I leave you? In James? Submit yourself. 
We were talking about submission. We were talking about humility. Yes, Diane took us there. We were talking about humility. Humility is such a beautiful, beautiful thing. You show me someone that's humble, and I'll show you God using them mightily. Mightily. I think probably one of the biggest things, if you were going to have, if you were going to have a, uh, on, a, on an epitaph or on a gravestone, something that would de- de- depict humbleness, and there may be other ways to say it, but I'm not sure that John the Baptist's words may not be the most affluent in that digression, and that was this. He, Jesus, he must increase and I must decrease. That is beautiful. That is absolutely beautiful. That's what it's all about. That's what it's all about. It's not about us. It's about Jesus. He must increase and I must decrease. Well, James, back to James chapter 4, it says, Submit yourselves therefore to God, period. Then resist the devil and he will flee from you. The more that you submit to God, the nearer you are. In fact, verse 8 says that. Draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. You know, the nearer you are to God, the more that you are like him. How many of us make efforts to get nearer to God? Or or questions like this. Well, how far do I have to stay away from sin to not really have it be called sin? Right? See, there's... How close can I get? Why are we always on the cliff? We're right on the edge. How close can I get? Why don't we say, how far away can we stay? Because that's the flesh side of us. That's the world. That's the part that's trying to conform us. We talked a little bit about conforming to the world standards. Oh, yes. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be afflicted and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning, your joy to heaviness. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. Now, submission also takes another role in the sense of God's uh, perspective of his desire. Turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. As we speak about those in government, those in control over us, uh, Peter speaks very openly, very candidly in 1 Peter chapter 2. We'll start in, I believe, verse 13. Verse 13. 1 Peter 2.13. Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake. This is God's will. Whether it be to the king as supreme or unto governors as unto them that are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers, for the praise of them that do well. For so is the will of God, that with well-doing you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men, as free and not using your liberty for a cloak of maliciousness, but as servants of God. Honor all men, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. There's something about being a law-abiding citizen that actually lets Christianity be looked as with a great deal of appeal. Now, I know where you're going because some of your minds are there. In some places, for what we're using, we are using the Word of God today. We have it open. We're teaching. We're using it exclusively. That is no longer, in some places, lawful. And I'm not talking about Muslim countries. I'm talking about in the United States of America. That is called hate speech in some places. Now, at that line, then we would have to do what Peter and the other apostles said, when they were jailed and they brought them out and they said, no, we've told you to stop preaching in that man's name. See, they couldn't even say Jesus' name out loud. They didn't want to. And what did Peter respond? We would rather obey God than men. Now, when the day comes that they will come to that door, if this is still standing, and they may not even knock, but they come in and they say, we understand 
are you preaching out of the Bible? And if I say yes, you make sure I say yes, and you make sure that we stand on the fir- on firmly on the Word of God, and let them do what they want to do, because if we lose that, we've lost it all. There's nothing left. We must stand firm for what God stands firm for. But in the meantime, if you're driving 65 and a 55 and an officer pulls you over, be courteous, be kind, and pay the fine, right? Our court of law, uh, the court of law has been set up. And the other thing is, the other thing, we have a huge advantage. Now, understandably, in the, in the New Testament, of which Paul and Peter and those guys wrote, uh, the Roman government was in charge for most of this. How many rights would we have had just living in the Roman Empire if we were not Roman citizens? Zero. Absolutely nothing. You either line up or get whatever. Now, we have some rights. We still have the right to vote. Are you using that? All kinds of things. We have the right to petition. We have the right to to demonstrate. We have the right to talk about things in the open forum, which is what a gift. Are we utilizing it? Now, it's something that the one thing that seems to be overarching and overbearing is the sense of how the oppressiveness from the evil side is continually pushing and pushing. And, and you know what the worst thing is for a righteous man or a righteous woman is to be apathetic. To take just, ah, oh, it doesn't matter. God's in charge. God's in control. Yes, he is. His, decre- his decretive will literally will get done what's going to be done no matter what anybody or anybody says. It will be accomplished. When he says the end is here, it will be here. But in the meantime, we are still to do the things that we are asked to do for the sake of those. It's amazing to me in the last 20 to 30 years how truth has eroded in our nation. It's amazing how truth has eroded. We no longer can identify truth, it seems. And when we don't know the difference between truth and untruth, that's how nations die. Stand firm. But give submission to the government when you're able. Now, along that vein, um, there's actually a fifth one. This one here is going to strike some sense of You have got to be kidding me. I thought we were talking about, didn't I just ask you where I should work or who I should marry or what should be my job or what car, all of those, you know, those specific God's will things. How are you getting into this stuff? Just stay with me. Just stay with me. Because the next one will probably rattle your chains a little bit. Because we find, in fact, right before I write it down, let's find it in the scripture. Let's go to 2 Peter. 2 Peter. And verse... Chapter 3 and verse 17. 2 Peter chapter... No, I'm sorry. Um, did I tell you 2 Peter? I'm so sorry. 1 Peter. 1 Peter. Chapter 3 and verse 17. 1 <clears throat> Peter chapter 3 verse 17. And Paul was actually... Peter was writing to these uh, believers that were suffering. He says this in verse 17. Verse 17, chapter 3. For it is better... If the will of God be so that you suffer for well-doing than for evil-doing. Chapter 2 and verse 20, just go back a, a page probably. Chapter 2, verse 20, uh, yes, chapter 2, verse 20, 1 Peter. For what glory is it if when you be buffeted for your faults, you should take it patiently? But if when you do well and suffer for it, you take it patiently, this is acceptable with God. Now, that just doesn't bode well. Remember when Job? You remember Job. I mean, he's the guy that got the, he got, 
man, you have got a life like Job. What does that mean? It couldn't get any worse, right? It just fits downhill, right? The patience of Job. What did his friends, quote, friends, they came to Job and they kind of sat there for, well, it was quite a while. They just sat there and just sat there. That was the best they could do, actually. And then they started to say stuff. That was where it just unfolded in the wrong way. They, they told Job, what did they tell Job? What did, what? He had sinned. And, yeah, you must have sinned. Why did they say that? It's obvious that what's happened to you, Job, you know, your whole family's been taken, all of your wealth, all of your livestock, everything that God gave to you, he has taken away. And you must have sinned. Now, that's also a, an opinion that is very readily acceptable in our day and age, right? Of, oh, he must have done something wrong. Now, if you read Job chapter 1, you'll find that actually, you know how we have act of God clauses in our, in our insurance contracts or in other contracts? Yeah. It's always the act of God. Well, if you read Job chapter 1 and 2, you'll find that actually Satan has a fair amount of power. Now, he never went any further than God allowed him. That's very, very important. He could go no further than God allowed him. But there were very devastating results from Satan. I'm waiting for the first insurance contract that says, barring acts of Satan. <laughs> and I'm going to quote Job chapter 1. It's right there, right? At any rate, at any rate, it's interesting though. Now, see, we know the rest of the story as Job was entrenched in this. And I can't imagine the misery and the, and the pain that he must have succumbed or was, was enduring. I don't say succumbed to. That he endured at the hands of his enemy, Satan. To think he lost all of his family, he lost all of his livestock, and literally lost... I'm going to say the, um, how should I say this? His, his wife had just, she finally just threw up her hands and said, Job, just curse God and die. Now, now we, we take her on, and, but I'm going to say, here's, here's a woman that has been with Job, mothered those children, and to watch it all go away, she's in no less pain, and then to watch her husband, literally, sitting on a pile of ash with, covered from head to toe with boils, and in extreme misery... She finally couldn't take anymore. She just said, I can't take it. So he lost his mate in the sense of a camaraderie. He's there by himself. What is that like? Well, we get to read, we get to read at the back of the book in Job, right? And what does it say? He's better than he'd ever been. He's better than he'd ever been. Now, it's hard for us to get in that groove while you're in the middle of suffering to say, thank you, God, for taking me through some deep waters. Thank you, God, for the suffering that I've endured. And right when you're in it, there's very, very few that can say that. Myself being the same way. But it's interesting. I want us to see in the same book where you're at, 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 10, it tells us that he uses suffering to make us mature and stronger. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 10 says this, But the grace, I'm sorry, but the God of all grace, who hath called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus. See, that's all the God of all grace. Yeah, you, you've received grace. He's called us into his eternal glory by Christ Jesus after you have suffered a while. 
What? Where does that come in? How does that fit? Now watch. Keep going. A while make you perfect. Now that word in the King James is perfect. It means to be mature, established, firmly founded, strengthened, to settle you, to him be glory and dominion. In other words, just as they, uh, we, talk, we always talk about this from time to time in the sense of gold or silver, precious metals. And as they're mining those out of the ground, if you were going to uh, talk about its splendor and its beauty, you probably wouldn't go to a silver mine and say, wow, that is awesome stuff. That is, that is so beautiful. I want some of that. No, it's tainted with all kinds of outside materials so they'll they will mine that they'll take it off to a to a, a smelter a foundry if you will and what do they do do they pick through it no they heat it up and they heat it to the point that the silver melts and then it's so easy the impurities just skim right off the top you know what a lot of the things that are really important to you they're hanging on to it might be your finances might be who knows it might be any, anything that is in the place of God you know what you turn the heat up high enough and you're a Christian you know what those things are just taken right off the top and you become a little bit more mature a little bit stronger and a little bit I mean it's just amazing the tough times make you stronger now it's no fun while you're in it I, it's, it's hard to just praise God for the time and, and you were in a four wheeler accident I bet there was times that was a tough thing very tough thing at the end Six operations. And there wasn't one of those that was fun, was it? No. That was not under the fun factor. No. But, but I love the Lord every day. Excuse me? I love the Lord every Absolutely. day. Absolutely. Absolutely. And at the end of that, and I don't know you, but just these moments, but I know God says in what he said in First Peter chapter 5, verse 10, this young woman is stronger than she was after than she was to before. Amen. I know because God said it. And you lived it. And all of you have those examples. There's all kinds of those things out there that literally he uses. Oh, I didn't write it down yet. See, I wouldn't do it. I wouldn't write it down until I kind of, okay, kind of talked about it, right? You kind of work your way through it. Yeah. So, and, and the other part of this is stand firm for the truth today. Stand firm for the truth today and you will suffer. Stand firm on God's word. In a public setting, you will take some heat. That's okay. That's okay. Look at, those, look at those apostles in Acts. Paul. He was shipwrecked. I can't remember that verse. Let me remember where it talks about he was, he was uh, stoned. He was, it has these two or three verses. Remember where it's at in Acts? I can't remember right off the top of my head. If somebody finds it, we'll read it. It's amazing what that man went through. And you know what? It wasn't because he was bad. It was because he was good. You show me somebody that's living for the Lord today in this world, and I'll show you someone that will be on the suffering block somewhere. Some money, somewhere, will be suffering. Well, I've got one more. I've got one left. And you say, really? Man, I'm struggling with this stuff. That's a lot of stuff. <laughs> got one left. And some of you back there are saying, praise God, one left. <laughs> okay? <laughs> I didn't think we'd ever get through this deal. There's one more. Let's turn to 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians. Oh, I want one other example of that. Do you remember, we may even turn here, speaking of the sense of suffering. Do you remember, and this, this really allows us to see grace in its fullest. Um, do you remember when Paul, let, let's turn there, 2 Corinthians, let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, uh, potentially a very common or uh, uh, readily available to thought process passage of scripture. But I'd like to get us into this, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, and let's look at verse, we'll start in verse 7. 
Now, for you that want to read the whole thing in its context, start in verse 1, chapter 12, verse 1, when you get home. If not, I'm going to try to fill in and paraphrase for you a moment. He was actually, uh, Paul was in, a, he was, he was in a vision or a spirit where he was able to see the third heaven. He was in a place where he actually was in the place of heaven in, in, in a dream or whether he was there. He couldn't tell. But he saw things that no one else had seen. And it kind of puffed him up. Have you ever been that way where you, boy, I know some things. I know some things. You know what? That's pride working at the utmost diabolical level. And here he is, and he says, let's watch what he says. Verse 6, I'm just jumping in. For though I would desire to glory, I shall not be a fool. I will say the truth, but now I forbear, lest any man should think of me above that which he seeth me to be, or that he heareth of me, and lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations. Now stop there for a moment. Again, can you imagine, as he would have come out of this particular vision, or whatever that situation might have been, for him to go before the group in the setting of a synagogue or in a church, and he would have said, you will not believe what I saw. But I'm going to tell you. And he would have, you know, it would have been, people would have come from far and, and he would have been, could have been, you can see what, he's, what he actually was concerned about. But he said, this is what happened. There was given to me, given to me a thorn in the flesh. That's some suffering. The messenger of Satan to buffet me. Buffet. You know what? In this next week, something somewhere is going to buffet you. Because Satan is looking whom he may devour. He's looking for ways to buffet you, to tear you down, to discourage you, lest I should be exalted above measure. Now watch what he does with this. If you have something to your suffering, but what do you usually do? What do you do? Wine. Wine. <laughs> Absolutely. Wine is a very common, that's a very common response, especially initially, isn't it? You'll ask questions like, why? Why me? Why? Okay. And, and then what do we do? Now, for Christians, something takes over and we, what? What do we do? We pray. We pray. Pray, God, God, what is going on? Help me with this. Right? And that's exactly what Paul did. Now watch this. Now, by the way, we pray for what reason? Lord, may it continue in steadfast suffering for us. No. No. We pray so that it gets removed. Right? Okay. So here's Paul. Now here he is. Verse 9. Uh, for verse 8, for this thing, this messenger of Satan, this thorn in the flesh, this buffeting, I besought the Lord thrice, three times, that it might depart from me. <laughs> he wants it to go away just like any normal red-blooded human would want it to be. Go, go away. And look at verse 9. And he said unto me, this is red letter, this is Jesus' words himself, my grace is sufficient. It is enough for you. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. And then Paul's words, Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities and reproaches and necessities and persecutions and distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. And that is probably the most powerful thing I see in Christians. If you look at the the church and its suppression and all of the... um, martyrdom and the persecution that's taking place, especially in Muslim countries today, I will show you the strongest Christians on this planet come when God uses suffering in their lives to make them stronger. I didn't say it was fun. I didn't sign up for it. But I will show you people's lives that become better and more glorifying to God when this component is in their life. Because God said it. Okay. 
Let's go back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And you said, man, that, you didn't even get to the last one yet. Yep, we're getting there. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. We'll find one more that is declared for us as being the will of God. The will of God. Now, it's interesting that we follow this one. Now, if you, if you look through this, number one, get saved. If you're not saved, you'll never find the will of God. You don't have no chance. The first thing for you is just get saved. Get on your knees. Repent of the sin that you can't do anything about. And he packs all of the penalty of sin, he has taken it away. Then your job is to be filled with the Spirit. Get yourself so close to God, so filled, so completely dependent upon Him that the Spirit leads you and guides you. Sanctification, that's that day-to-day walk, depending on Him, trusting Him, full of faith, being submissive to His will, wanting to do what He wants you to do, and then suffering when that opportunity comes. And then, this is going to sound a little weird, Let's read it. We'll do what we did the last one. I don't want to give you any false impressions. First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 18 says this. Starts in verse 17. says, pray without ceasing. Just always be in the form of prayer. Verse 18. In everything, give thanks. Colon. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Well, I don't know if I can be thankful for everything. That verse is pretty clear. What part of that did we not get? In some things, in nice things, in good things, in pleasant things, in all things, in everything. Give thanks. Give thanks. That's one of the things I like to do at night as I, uh, I hit the pillow. It's a good time for me to just give credit. Boy, that's a terrible K, isn't it? Let me try it again. Thanks. There we go. Um, that's a really good time as I, as I lay down, and it's usually a long enough day that I'm ready to go to bed and it feels good. And that's for thank you for a soft, warm bed. I mean, I'm, I'm blessed, and I'm living in a I've got a roof over my head. Now, if I choose to be camping outdoors in a sleeping bag that's real lumpy and there's rocks or any, I'm still going to be thankful for the great outdoors of which I'm enjoying, right? Do you see what I'm saying? In everything, give thanks. Even in suffering, I'll tell you what I can be thankful for no matter how deep and how bad it is. God promised that he would be with me always. He would never leave me or forsake you. Thank you, Father, that I know that you're with me right now. Thank you that I can trust you with whatever the future holds. See, in everything we can give thanks. And when you do that, that is a perfect formula. And you say, Larry, are you telling me now I've waited this long to hear from you what job I should have, where should I live, who should I marry, and all of the other pertinent questions in my life, and that's what you've given to me? I've got some fantastic news for you. I really do. We're going to turn to Psalm 37 a little bit. And those of you who are turning here, it's okay. I didn't tell you first, did I? That's pretty tricky. But we're going to turn there for a moment because if these, if these six things are fully engaged in your life. Now, again, there's no sense of 100% perfection because that's the other. The perfectionists in the room today are saying, oh, man, I could use some help on a little bit of all of that. Except, you know, you're either saved or you're not. You've either trusted Christ or you haven't. But all of these other ones, man, there's a, that's okay. That's okay. Because this sanctification where in Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, he said he is faithful and just to, to the very end of your journey. He will keep you and he will perfect you. There was something we said last week. Sanctification, a definition. I don't know where I got it, but I got it. And it's this. God loves you too much to leave you the same. God loves you too much to not change you. Isn't that good? That's really good. Now, see, the other thing is, is God sees you from the 30,000, I'm going to say 30,000 foot level. It's like on a plane. Those of you that have flown in planes and you're flying over an area that you've lived in, you see it from a whole nother perspective. You fly over the mountains from the 30, 
thousand foot level. Man, I didn't know that was there. Look at that. Look at, you, you, I love to look out the window. I want a window seat when I'm flying on a clear day on the mountains. It's so beautiful. It is so beautiful and so revealing because you see these valleys, which we have to drive around, flies right over the top. Look at that's not that far from there to there. Look at the lakes. I didn't know about that. You know what? God sees all of those little things in our lives and he knows exactly where he wants us to be and how he wants us to get there. And he doesn't want us to be conformed to this world. And that's why sometimes suffering has to take place. He burns that out of us, if you will, and moves us to a level that is for our best and for his glory. That 30,000 foot level. Now, you say, yeah, you still didn't answer my question. How do I know God's will for my, in my personal life? If you're engaged in those. What's number four? Number four is submissive or submitting. Okay? Let's turn to Psalm chapter 37 and let's read verses 4 and 5. Psalm 37, verses 4 and 5. Oh, before you do that, stop. Don't, don't read that. Don't read that. If, if I was going to ask, maybe it's, maybe it's a little bit too forward, but I'm, I'm okay. I'm a forward guy and you guys are a small group. How many of you actually really want to know God's will for your life? That's pretty good. Most of you want to know. That's really good because if, if you are saved, you better want to know because that's what God wants you to know, right? Okay? But that's okay. It would appear, and actually in most Christian settings, the point of the matter is everyone wants to know the will of God for their life. Now, having said that, again, Psalm chapter 37, let's turn to verse 4 and 5. Delight thyself also in the Lord. Stop. Delight thyself in the Lord. I'm going to tell you something right now. When you're on this page, when you're, when you're being filled with the Spirit and you're being sanctified and you're serious about being sanctified and you're submissive to that and you are suffering when that... Now, don't go looking for suffering. I mean, don't go looking for it. Make sure it's for the good reason. In other words, if you, if you shot somebody's tire out and you had to go to jail, that's not, that's not suffering in Jesus' name. <laughs> okay? I'm talking for doing well. We read it, but I want to make sure. We want to make sure and cover it. And you're giving thank All of these things, guess what? You're going to be delighting yourself in the Lord. There's going to be joy and peace of which is going to be yours. But let's keep going. It doesn't stop there. Delight thyself also, Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. What? I'm here to tell you, if you do, if these are foundational truths for you being in God's will, you can ask him anything you want because your will will literally be his will. Have you ever thought of it that way? That's fantastic. Now you see what it, excuse me, that is a promise. And that's why David could say it because it's based on foundational God will things. Now, it may change. See, it's interesting. Now, some of you, well, that's really not the vein I was thinking about what I really wanted. Exactly. But when we're there, then that whole thing starts to con- can converge on the sense of what God's will is. Let's read verse 5. Commit thy way unto the Lord. And we talked, I think we had it uh, last week. Didn't we have three things? I had too much stuff on the board. We had th- like a dedicated commitment. Oh, there was one, uh, what was, what was tenacity. You, remember, Lynn, you came up with tenacity. There was four of them. Dedication, commitment, tenacity. Okay, say them one more time for me. Dedicated, De- commitment, self-discipline, tenacity. Okay, dedication, commitment, 
self-discipline, and tenacity. Those are attributes that literally we find in very short supply in our country today. Those are stick-to-itness kind of things, right? I mean, you, no matter if the tough gets going, you just stay on it and you just go for it. That's a great Christian attitude. Commitment, though, did you notice? Verse 5, it said, Commit thy way unto the Lord. Trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. Where is your commitment today? Where is your dedication? If it's on Jesus Christ, these things are, are working for you, not against you. And literally, literally, that, that's hard for us to believe. You can ask anything that is in your heart, and he will do it. You'd ask um, John MacArthur, he said, how did you get to, to Grace? What is it, Grace Bible? What, the one, GT, Grace to you. What is the name of the church that he... That's not right. Uh, it's in California. That's all we need to know, right? And someone asked him, how did you get here? He said, because I wanted to. Why did he want to? Because of these things. Do you see what I'm saying? It's the same thing for all of us. When we're engaged in this type of components of God's will, then the rest take care of itself. Yes? Do you think they're the same as... Before we were saved, the things we wanted before oh. we were saved, down here we don't ask again. Exactly, exactly right. Lint, 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 I'm going to make sure I get the question because I think it's really, really instrumental right now. You said, um, okay, I'm, let me just define a little bit more. Are the thi- say, say, it, say it one more time. Well, the things that we wanted. Okay, the things that you wanted, that we wanted before we were saved, and now, and yet, now what we want down here, they're different, aren't they? You know, what, you know what changes all of it? Before you were saved, in fact, God's will, first of all, is to get you saved. None of this matters. You, you can't even get there. You can't even discern God's will if you're not saved. You have no idea. In fact, you don't even know you're at war. You show me someone that's, that's living, um, I'm going to say, on the rough side of life or whatever it is, and their life is a total mess. They don't know they're at war with God, and yet the Scripture says in Ephesians chapter 2 that they are enmity. They are children of disobedience. They're at war with God. They don't even know that. This is number one. If you don't get number one, don't try to go to five or six. Go back to number one. If you don't get number one and you try to go to three, don't go back to number one because you can't get through it. And Lynn makes a great point. Things that we would have wanted, desired, yearned after, lusted after. Yeah, all of those things, all of those things, especially before we got saved. They, if you, if you get saved, it's already going to change some things. But if you have this in your... These are very, very, very different requests because your heart has changed. That's one of the things that prayer does. It changes us from the inside out. Jesus Christ, his first and foremost thing is to work from the inside out. He doesn't make us any prettier on the outside. Boy, some of you look depressed. No, he, he leaves the body the same. The temple is the same. Now, you can work on that as you want. But really what he's interested in making you beautiful from the inside and you become beautiful people of the, oh, those around you because of the things that he does to you that seem impossible, impossible to anyone else. That was that, very good insight. Very good insight. Okay, anything else? Let's take a look at... Um, Let's go to Romans chapter 12. Very, very familiar passage too. But again, I want you to see this is the fight that we're in. The sense of, remember, leaving and cleaving. You're leaving and cleaving something every, all day long. You're leaving something to cleave to something. That's just, that's how we're set up. Romans chapter 12. And let's look at verses 1 and 2. And then we've got a couple more scriptures and then we'll, uh, we'll go from there. 
Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. Now, this is toward the end of, of Paul's letter to the Romans, and he's starting to wrap some things up. And he says, I beseech you, therefore, I'm urging you, I'm commanding you, brethren, by the mercies of God, the mercies of God, not giving us what we deserve. He's been speaking on that beginning all the way back in chapters 1 and 2 and coming all the way through. That you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Now watch verse 2. And be not conformed or squeezed into this world, but be transformed, changed by the renewing of your mind. The renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. The perfect will of God will come through the renewing of your mind. The biggest enemy we have is worldliness, which conforms us to its image. Things that God says are wrong, we say the world says they're not wrong. All of those different things, it changes our whole ideologies. And it's the renewing of our mind that we find God's perfect will. Let's look at Colossians chapter 4, verse 12. We have one more left, and then I will be done. And someone said, Amen. Amen. <laughs> Colossians chapter 4. Colossians chapter 4. And let's look at verse 12. Colossians chapter 4, verse 12. Now, these are his conclusions to the church at Colossae, and he's naming names. He says in verse 12, Epaphras who is one of you, a servant of Christ, saluteth you always, laboring fervently for you in prayers. What's he praying for? That you may stand perfect, that is mature and complete in all the will of God. That's, that's God's desire for you. He's, he's actually praying. Epaphras was praying for those at Colossae. But here's the deal. We're going to close with a verse that we actually started with in our first session, which has been long enough ago. You may not have remembered it. There was that servant Eleazar a servant of, of, of Abram. Let's go back to Genesis chapter 24. I want you to find it in your Bible. Genesis chapter 24 and verse 27. He was looking for a husband. I'm sorry. He was looking for a wife for Isaac. If he says that, would, that would be bad. Yeah, Isaac did not need a husband. He needed a wife. Yeah, absolutely. God did not create Adam and Steve. It was Adam and Eve. And here we go. To follow along with that line, we have Eleazar is looking for a wife at Abraham's request. And, and he's followed through, and now he's depicting this, this whole scenario to those that he's come in contact with. And he's met this woman, and he goes back to the family. And in verse 27, he says this, verse 27, chapter 24. And he said, Blessed be the Lord God of my master Abraham, who hath not left destitute my master of his mercy and his truth. What is he doing? He's being very thankful to God for what he's doing for Abram and, and actually Isaac. And, he watched, and then he says this, I, being in the way, the Lord led me in the house of my master's brethren. If you want God's will, just get in his way. The best way to get in his way is be filled with the Spirit. Be sanctified. Take it serious. Be submissive to God. And when you have to suffer to stand firm for truth, go ahead and give thanks and all of that. And you know what? You will find yourself standing in God's way, and he will lead you where he wants you. He will do it. He will do it. And you say, ah, it's freshness, isn't it? It's relief. In one sense, it's relief to know that when we're, when, we're, when we're effectively doing those things, God's will takes care of itself. We're just in the way, and God leads us. It's pretty cool. But we serve a really awesome God. Any questions or comments today?
Oh, I was, uh, can, do, do you mind if I share one more verse? <laughs> did we, uh, let me ask, did we go to Psalm 143, verse 10? Okay, let's go there. I, I find this interesting. It, it's, it could be part of our prayer, if you will. And uh, the, you're getting nervous. I know he started, he started back in again. No, be, this is it. This is, this is truly it. Psalm chapter 143 and verse 10. It's interesting. I want you to notice what David is requesting here. Uh, psalm 143. It's a psalm of David's. Verse 10. It says this. I'll start in verse 9, so I just, I'll, I'll let it flow a little bit for you. Deliver me, O Lord, from mine enemies. I flee unto thee to hide me. Verse 10. Teach me to do thy will, for thou art my God. Thy spirit is good. Lead me into the land of uprightness. Uh, uprightness. Now, did you see something there? Let's, the first line, you're, already, you're attracted to that because it says something about his will. And then we're, when we're studying it, it says, teach me to do thy will. Did you notice what it was he really wanted? He didn't want to know his will. He already knew that, apparently. Teach me to do it. To do it. If you're here today, many times, God's will is very explosive and open for us to see. The target, the problem, the challenge is doing it. Right? I'm here to say that David had the same thing. He said, teach me to do it. Because therein is the key to success, peace, and joy. With that, let's close in prayer. Father God, thank you for the day. Thank you for your word. Thank you that you have not hidden your will. It's not secretive. It's not mysterious. It's something that you want us to know. These things that we have on the board. Getting saved. Being filled with the Spirit. Being sanctified. Being submissive. At times suffering for you to peel off the things that are not worthy to be part of what you want us to be and then giving thanks and all of it those things honestly father are declared and described as being in your will father thank you for sharing those thank you that we don't have to wonder about them that we we we're in the dark that you have you say as we're oh you're getting closer you're getting warmer oh a little closer no it's not like that you want us to know very adamantly father thank you for helping us to submit to yourself that challenge that we continually are faced with is submitting to God versus being conformed to the world. Father, may we leave the world and cleave to you. The closer we are to you, the more like you we are. Father, I would pray for each one of those that have come out today that your word would stay within them. And Father, that you would lead them, you would guide them, you would direct them through the power of the Holy Spirit. Father, in their journeys that will take them this week into places that Really, quite honestly, you've made specific for them. There may be someone that needs to hear from them that you have spoken in their hearts. Father, I thank you for what you're accomplishing day by day, moment by moment. I ask, Father, that you would bless these that have come out today. There may be someone here that has a special need, something that's too precious to mention or to talk of, to speak of. But you know it. You know the innermost thoughts of all of us. And, Father, this one is overwhelming to them, but we would ask, Father, that you would hold that person very close to yourself, that they would know how much they're loved. Father, I know they need you today in these moments. Would you do that? Would you let them know that? And, Father, now for the rest of us, we ask for your continued guidance, provisions, and safety. In all that we do and say, that we bring glory and honor before yourself. And these things we ask in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior the awesome risen Savior. Amen.